Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Mount Zion is on earth, Mount Zion is not in heaven. Mount Zion is on earth. And this 144,000, notice they're standing on the earth with the Lamb. Um, and they, the, the 144,000 at this time, remember, have been sealed through to go through the Great Tribulation period. So they are not dead. They are physically on the earth. And they are there at Mount Zion. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, A lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. These 144,000 were last seen in Revelation chapter 7, where they were identified as a group of Jewish believers who ministered during the Great Tribulation and are given a seal of protection throughout that period. Since they stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb, it shows that they emerge victorious from the Great Tribulation. The beast of Revelation chapter 13 certainly has not defeated the 144,000. Here they are seen triumphant, worshiping, and standing firm with Jesus. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Uh, Let's go ahead and open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I'll be honest with you, for some reason, this chapter has been really challenging for me. Uh, The book of Revelation is a challenge because there are so many different ways to... There's a handful of ways, honestly, that people uh, throughout history have viewed this book. And I believe the way we're going through it right now uh, makes sense. Uh, We know that it is a... These events that we're speaking of are yet future to us. We know that we still live in the church age because we're all here. Right, But once the church is removed, the church age is over, and we are in heaven with Jesus. And we will be there for seven years, while what we call the Great Tribulation, what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, it calls Jacob's trouble, it calls it Daniel's 70th week. It's a period of seven years where God is going to deal again with Israel and her unbelief, and he's also going to pour out his judgment on a world that has rejected his only means of salvation, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved, and so God is going to pour out his wrath on a world that has rejected his son. But understand this, that even during that time, and and I I labeled this morning's um, message the persistent love of God, because when we get into verse 6, really there's just this wonderful opportunity that the people on the earth are going to have during this time. Throughout the whole seven-year period, actually, they're going to be able to come to Christ. They won't be a part of the church, per se, because the church is a unique body that... Uh, that, that believes in him before the, the rapture of the church, okay? But it doesn't mean 
that those people who give their heart to Christ during the tribulation, it doesn't mean that they're not going to heaven. They are, but you understand there is the church, and then there are people who give their heart to Christ in the, the tribulation, but it's a different group of people. Does that make sense? They're still going to go to the same place, but it's going to cost them a great deal, and it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult in those days, yet future to us, after the church is removed, there's going to be such a great delusion and a great deception going on. If you think there's deception and delusion going on right now, we've seen nothing yet. It's going to get much, much worse. And there is going to be great delusions, great deceptions. And don't think that you're strong enough to withstand those delusions and deceptions. How far, how much better is it now to give your heart to Christ while things are relatively easy? Now, I would say that the time we're living in right now is not necessarily easy, but it's relative compared to what's coming. Because what's coming, if we could fast forward to that time that we're referring to now, every one of us and anyone who is not saved would probably drop to their knees and beg for forgiveness. I'm convinced of it. A great majority of people would give their heart if they understood what's coming. But see, they live in unbelief. They don't believe what the Word of God says. And that's why you and I have such a great privilege to have the Word of God. And to know that God loved us so much that not only did he give his Son as a propitiation, a substitute for us, whereas we deserve death for eternity, he went to the cross, suffered that eternal death, and also redeemed us. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And those who believe in him will also be in glory with him because of what he has done on the cross. As we look at chapter 14, we're going to see that it's going to be a somewhat of a table of contents, if you will, starting at the beginning of the seven years and ending at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So chapter 14 is like a table of contents of what's coming through chapters 15 through 19, because 19 is where Jesus comes back to the earth with the saints, with all of you and I, with all of us together coming back physically to the earth, to a Jerusalem that is in the Middle East right now. We visit it. We're coming back to that Jerusalem. And we'll be here for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years has expired, the Bible says there's a lot of things, details, but a new heavens and a new earth will be created. This one will be dissolved. All the Planets, everything in the heavens will dissolve like fervent heat, with fervent heat, like a scroll that's being rolled up, and God will create a new heavens, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, which is much larger than anything you can possibly imagine. The dimensions are given to us in Revelation, and it is huge, as large as the United States, and I think even bigger. Okay, so this is how big this city is. And the redeemed, the eternal state of every believer, that will be their home for eternity. Just as the, the wicked and those who have died and have gone to hell, those wicked dead will be spending an eternity in the lake of fire, which is an eternity. As they are going to spend an eternity there, we will spend an eternity in the new Jerusalem. And we will be there forever and ever. I don't know about you, but that's really good news, especially now. I'm looking forward to that more than ever. There's nothing. Is there anything in your life that is holding you to this earth? That, 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 is there anything in your life that says, you know what? I don't want the rapture to come now. <laughs> I don't want the rapture to come. I want to live my life. 
I want to get that job. I want to marry that beautiful guy or beautiful girl. I mean, you know, provide, you know what I mean by that. You know, you want to go, you want to have kids. You want to see, you want to walk your daughter down the aisle, guys. You want to see your daughter with the, the veil coming off and, you know, her husband, you know, kissing her and having a family and then having grandkids and then moving to Florida and playing golf. You know, we all have those things, but you know what? And those things are fine and good. There's nothing wrong with that. God is not upset with that at all. But we must understand that it pales in comparison. And I think the more we understand who God is and what he has planned for us, the more we delve into those things and meditate on those things, it's going to make everything here seem like, you know what, Lord? This is really nice, but I can't wait. I can't wait to see you. can't wait to be with you. There's nothing more exciting, more glorious than to be with Jesus. And to be with Jesus where he is and the place that he has prepared for us. Let me tell you, it's, I can't imagine the beauty and the glory and the sense of contentedness, the sense of peace, the sense of purity, the sense of holiness, the sense of love, and it's all mingled together. I mean, let yourself get carried away with that. Let yourself get carried away. So chapter 14 is like a table of contents for what we're going to see in the next uh, several chapters going up through chapter 19 when Christ comes. And chronologically, it's kind of interesting, uh, as you remember, these chapters, specifically 10 through 15, are what we call parenthetical chapters. They're chapters that describe individuals, it describes events, that are, that are coming, and that are, you know, that are coming yet. And, and so we have to remember that. And um, it's interesting, too, as we look at chapter 14, we're going to understand very quickly as we go through it, if you've read ahead at all, that chapters 15 and 16 actually occur before chapter 14. And you may be wondering, what are you talking about? Let, let me just give you one example. Look at verse 8 here in Revelation chapter 14. You notice that it speaks about Babylon being destroyed. But that doesn't actually happen until the seventh bowl judgment, which we haven't gotten to yet. And that, uh, that, that's the seventh bowl judgment of, of uh, chapter 16. So that hasn't happened yet. So again, this is a table of contents of what's coming yet. And chapters 17 and 18 are really a fleshing out, if you will, a more detail concerning uh, the destruction of Babylon. Not only the city itself, but also the system, the, po- the political, economic, and religious system, false religious system that is being prepared as we speak. It's been preparing for quite a while, but it will find its ultimate summation in that time. It's all going to be destroyed. So we know that this is just a, this is a table of contents. And in this chapter, we're going to see um, seven different visions, if you will. And uh, we'll look at those. The first vision is really verses 1 through 5. The second vision is verses 6 and 7. The third vision is verse 8. The fourth vision is verses 9 through 11. The fifth vision is verses 12 through 13. The sixth vision is verses 14 through 16. And finally, the seventh vision is verses 17 through 20. Let's look at the very first verse. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb. Some In most of the translations, the majority text says, The lamb. So it says, Behold, the lamb standing on Mount Zion, 
and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, this is kind of an interesting couple of verses because the first three verses I found very challenging, uh, but we have to look at it in reality. We have to look at it, and I think it will make some sense to us. Mount Zion is on earth. Mount Zion is not in heaven. Mount Zion is on earth. And this 144,000, notice they're standing on the earth with the Lamb. Um, and they, the, the 144,000 at this time, remember, have been sealed through to go through the Great Tribulation period. So they are not dead. They are physically on the earth. And they are there at Mount Zion. And in fact, many of the verses... There are many verses in the Bible that speak of Mount Zion, and out of the 150 Psalms, there are 30, and we're not going to look at all 30 of those, but there's, a, there's 30 of them that speak of Zion in the Messianic millennial sense, meaning that it's speaking of Zion in the millennium when Jesus is present in that time. And let's just look at the one. You don't have to go there, but I'm going to read it to you. The first one is Psalm 2, verses 1 through 6. And I think when you see this, you'll understand very clearly that this psalm is messianic in its origin, or in its intent, and also it's prophetic of Christ coming to the earth, setting up his millennial kingdom. And what does it say? It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And anointed there is Mashiach, Messiah. That's literally what it means. Against the Lord, against Jehovah, and against his Messiah is really literally what it means, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces, cast their cords from us. Notice, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, and then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Notice what he says in verse 6. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Regardless of what the earth does, regardless of what the governments do, ultimately Christ is going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem on this earth. He's going to set and he's going to rule over the entire world. For a thousand years. In Psalm 46, I love the psalmist gives us this glimpse of the, of the millennial reign. He says, There is a river, Psalm 46, verse 4, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. The city of God is the one that we're referring to that is coming yet in the future. The city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. And so it's speaking about that future time that is ahead of us. In Psalm 48, it says something similar too. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, literally beautiful in height, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And it's interesting, too, that the Temple Mount right now, if you go to Israel, you'll notice that um, the Temple Mount is here, and the Mount of Olives is over on the east side of it, and it's a little higher than it. It's a little higher. When you're actually on the Mount of Olives, you're looking down on the Temple Mount. But the Bible says here that beautiful for elevation, beautiful for height. And then um, in Zechariah, let's just read this. In verses 3 and 4, what happens yet in the future? 
at the end of the great tribulation period when Jesus comes. What does it say? He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. It's going to cleave in two. In Zechariah 14, verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and the south and the east and the west. It's going to create like an epicenter. And believe me, uh, in Isaiah also it says this, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is Isaiah chapter 2. Now it came to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And so this earthquake that's going to happen and also Jesus coming down is going to make all those mountains, it's going to change the geography of the land. All of a sudden, Mount, the Mount of Olives, which rises above the Temple Mount right now, is going to be changed. And all of a sudden, Zion, Mount Zion, where the Temple Mount is, that's going to be lifted up. And remember the gates? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Those gates that are down and the King of Glory will come in. Those gates will be exposed. There's a lot more to that. But it is going to change the landscape of that area. When Jesus returns. But it speaks of a messianic time, these psalms, uh, of a time yet future, prophetically. And notice in verse 1 2, it says that the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion with them 144,000. These 144,000 are gathered in Jerusalem, and perhaps this is going to be the bait that is going to draw the Antichrist down from the north to come down to destroy Jerusalem. We know that the Antichrist is going to have a federation of armies. And these 144,000, perhaps, this is a conjecture, but I, I think it's very possible, that while they're there in Jerusalem, the Antichrist is going to know that they are there, and his hatred of them and the Jews, all the redeemed of, 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 of the Lord, he is going to be so angry at them, he is going to come down through the, that valley, at the valley, after the valley of Armageddon, he's going to come down, and he's going to just try to destroy, and he's going to be somewhat um, successful and destroying a majority of the city. And perhaps these 144,000 are like the bait. The bait in the water. And he sees them and he comes after them. In Zechariah chapter 14, it says that, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, speaking of Jerusalem, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of, of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And so that this is going to happen yet future to us and uh, for the Jews in that time, and perhaps those 144,000 again will just be the bait for the Antichrist. But the first time we hear of these 144,000, we looked at that in Revelation chapter 7. You remember that they were, they were sealed, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes were sealed and protected to go through the Great Tribulation period. They will certainly be evangelical, they will be sharing the truth of Christ to not only their countrymen, their fellow Jews, but also to all around in the world. And the, the Antichrist at that time, this political leader, will seek to destroy them. Everything he can, he wants to destroy them. And do you find that there is a plot in the world to destroy truth? Right now, isn't there a plot to destroy truth? It's going to get a lot worse. 
It's going to get a lot worse. But notice, these have their father's name written on their foreheads. And I think this is interesting because what did we just get... uh, What did we just finish reading last week? Revelation 13. And what was Revelation 13, especially the last seven or eight verses? What was it talking about? The mark of the beast. Of people taking a mark in their their hand or in their forehead, signifying their allegiance to the beast. And without it, they're not going to be able to buy or sell. And without that mark, you're going to be hunted. And you're going to be killed. And yet, what a contrast now. God is setting up here now a chapter 14, immediately after 13, saying these are going to be marked as well. But they are going to be marked by me, and they will be mine. They will be mine. Notice in Revelation 7 and in verse 3 it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And that's exactly what happened with those 144,000. You can read Ezekiel chapter 9, uh, verses 3 through 6. It's a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture as Ezekiel was ministering to the captives in Babylon as he was led captive in Babylon. Remember, uh, when they were taken captive in Babylon around 606 B.C., they were in Babylon for about 20 years before Jerusalem in 586 was finally destroyed. So while he was still in Babylon prophesying to those captives still there, he was talking about this destruction of the temple and the things that were going to happen. And he mentions in Ezekiel 9 verse 3, notice the similarity of something in the Old Testament that is coming yet in the future to us. Notice. Ezekiel 9, verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel, and this is a vision that God had given to Ezekiel. The glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the, all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after them throughout the city and kill them. In other words, those who don't have the mark. Do you see the difference? The Antichrist puts a mark on you, but you will ultimately be destroyed. But when God puts a mark on you, you are preserved. And that's exactly what is happening here. He says, to the others, he said in my hearing, go after them throughout the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. And, and, and this is hard, okay? This is a hard verse. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Do you think God is serious about sin? He says judgment must first begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what's going to happen to those outside of Christ? That's why it's so important for us to be serious about our faith, to be serious about what the Bible says, to be serious about sin. May we not take it lightly and just kind of dismiss it. If you're like me, it's very easy for me to dismiss my own sin, but I don't like other people's sin. I look at somebody else's sin, it could be the same as mine, but why is it that I hate that more than I hate my own? Maybe because I see my reflection. Maybe I see my reflection. I'm like, I really hate that. And I know God hates that. And the Lord's going, well, can you see your reflection in the mirror? Oh. Oh. Wait a minute. The Bible's supposed to be about me getting information so that I can point my finger at other people. And God's saying, oh, no, it starts with you. It starts with us. Then we share it with others. But first, let us be wounded Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And there's no one greater than a friend than Jesus. He's more than a friend, actually. He loves you and I so much. 
He loves us so much to tell us the truth. He won't lie to us. If somebody lies to you, they don't love you. If somebody's manipulating you, they don't love you. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.